Welcome into the Atlanta Sports Party, your home for the best Atlanta sports talk. It's local insight you can't get anywhere else. We're right here at Locked On. I'm Tanitra Batiste, and alongside me are Jarvis Davis and Maria Martin. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. The Atlanta Sports Party is also part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Coming up later, we'll deep dive into some changes at the branch, and we will take you around the metro where one of our teams is getting sneaky good, but let's get the party started with our top takes. And Jarvis Maria, Wednesday was a day. It was a day of a big haul for Georgia. They are in line to win the offseason recruiting championship by having the number one recruiting class in 2024. And you may have thought like a week ago, wow, was that even possible? Because when we heard the news that Dylan Raiola was headed to Nebraska for an official visit, kind of was the writing on the wall. And then, of course, he confirmed that he committed to Nebraska. But just like in Kirby's smart fashion, he turns right around. And what what does he do? But he gets a class that starts out with, KJ Bolden. So I think it more than balanced itself out. But Jarvis, how in the world does Kirby Smart still in the loss of such a prospect like Raiola still end up at the top of the heap? Yeah, just think about this, what he's been able to do just from a recruiting standpoint. You think about how persistent he is. And I think that it was interesting because he was asked about how did he get KJ Bolden? He's like, I'm just being consistent. Like, I'm doing what I normally do. And and when you think about that, it just kind of sounds a little weird, maybe even a little flippant almost. And you're just saying, but but when you actually kind of dig into it, it's just like, this is a, a, a system. This is a, a a machine. This is something that he has built, you know, as, ever since he, he stepped foot in that door because he was known for doing stuff like this when he was at Alabama, the defensive coordinator up under Nick Saban. He, this dude is a hell of a recruiter, and he knows how to he knows how to build relationships, and, and I think that's the biggest thing too, especially in today's game. That's how he's been able to navigate all this nil wild madness. Now a lot of people may look at all the, all of the players in the portal, but look at those players' snaps that that's in the portal. They aren't that great. They they aren't that high. So I think the people to be able to get guys like KJ Bowler in there because he had been committed since to Florida State ever since August, and you know Mike Norvell was basically had him at the top of his heap as far as his big haul, and then for Kirby Smart to come in and st- and flip him at the last moment, it just goes to show you that Kirby is still a machine. He is still working, and he is doing everything he possibly can to to get that that third national championship. Yeah, indeed. And Maria, I love something that he said as well, because it speaks to what Jarvis just said about the system. When he was talking at the press conference just yesterday about Ryan Puglisi, that was the exact thing he said. He said he's looking for a certain type of quarterback, still looking because he still doesn't have the four that he wants in the QB room. But one of the reasons Ryan Puglisi has a chance to be one of those four is because of the system. He looks for players that fit the system. And so the system for him is something that just goes all across the map, not just in the recruiting class, but what the specific recruiting class members actually are about as well. 
Yeah, Dylan Rayola made a lot of sense, too, going back to the quarterbacks, and I'll talk about Ryan in a second, but Dylan's flip kind of made a lot of sense. His dad played at Nebraska. His uncle is currently the offensive line coach. So, you know, I know a lot of people were upset when Dylan ultimately made the flip because, obviously, they would love to have a quarterback of that caliber play for Georgia. I watched him play on Team 1-1, our high school football show, all season long, and the kid's electric. He's really good. He's got a bright future. But at the end of the day, he made the decision that he felt was best for him and his family, so you got to support that and move forward. What I thought was just absolutely groundbreaking for the Bulldogs was getting KJ Bolden, also a kid that we've seen. We've played highlights of him every single Friday night. He is fantastic. He plays both sides of the ball, and Georgia may get creative and also use him offensively. He's the top safety in the entire country. I think that he is the best player in their class, and that says a lot because they have a lot of five stars. They have a whole handful of four stars and then a couple of three stars in this signing class. Um, and he's got some of the top defensive players in the entire country that have signed with this class. But the quarterback is a little concerning. Brock Vandergriff obviously leaving, going to Kentucky. So then you look around and you say, who do we have left? Well, Carson Beck obviously coming back for another year is huge. And then you have Gunnar Stockton. And Ryan coming in from Connecticut, there's been a lot of talk about how electric he is. But who knows? We haven't seen a lot from him just because yeah. we're down here in the South. Um, and he, he's still young so you don't know a lot about him yet but I have full faith in Kirby Smart and let's give the recruiting staff a lot of credit too Kirby Smart's fantastic and obviously he does a great job but he does the right things to put his staff in position to be successful when it comes to recruiting and I always have faith when it comes to guys like Kirby Smart on signing day and he proved once again why they're the best getting yeah. KJ Bolden to flip was absolutely massive I think it's going to pay dividends for years to come yeah and I think too that going back to your point, Maria, Kirby even mentioned that in the press conference yesterday, like a guy like Fran Brown, who made it clear because they say he's a recruiting guru as well and made it clear to the potential recruits, hey, for as long, I'm here for as long as I am until I am not. And that is if I get a head coaching job, I'm going to part ways. But for as long as I'm you know, available until that day, I'm going to be here 100% completely dialed in. And I think that speaks volumes too, because you have someone who's authentic. Parents know when they have someone authentic presenting to them and to their kids. And I think that speaks volumes as well. Like it's, we say it's Kirby. He's maybe the face of it, if you will. But ultimately speaking, you've got to have a guy like a Fran Brown to be able to pull that off as well. And then again, we talked about some of those, granted KJ is that top guy, but let's not forget the five-star linebacker. When you start talking about how, you know, one minute they're running back you and the next minute they're tight in you and the next minute they're linebacker you, when you got Justin Williams coming your way and you have other guys who are hitting the portal because they know these freshmen are about to take some of their snaps that tells you just how once again deep the recruiting class of 2024 is going to be now speaking of that Jarvis and we kind of touched on this in the Atlanta football party a couple days ago when we talked dogs just before national signing day one of the things we talked about was where we thought the need would be the greatest and we talked about wide receiver we kind of agreed it was maybe wide receiver one and then maybe o-line two and I would say it looks like Kirby Smart at least started to address those needs, probably O-line more than anything, because he, he got a, a quite a haul there. But how do you feel he did in the in the receiver area? I, I think I think he did a solid job, you know, because when you think about, you know, some of the guys that he was able to bring in, you know, not necessarily big time name guys. And there were a couple of big name guys that he was going after, but he ended up, they ended up going um, choosing to go uh, other places. But mm -hmm. I think the most important thing for me is what the what Kirby addressed is the offensive and defensive line. Because when you think about 
like a guy that defensive end, like in that in that odd front, you got to have those guys got to be a little bit more taller, a little bit more thicker, probably about 275, 280, 6'3, mm-hmm. 6'4, like true defensive ends. The kind of guys mm-hmm. like Michael Williams, guys that built in that ilk, he didn't have that. So he went out and got those guys. And I think that on the offensive line side of it, I just think he's just so just just he just kind of speaks into or sees into the future when it comes to their offensive line because they got some guys. I had, they had seven guys. We talked about on the football party all season how they had seven starters essentially on their offensive line. So you can just look at the guys that they brought in in this class. Everybody's 6'7", 6'8", 305, yeah. 350, 345, 320. And those guys are all guys that not necessarily can come in and play right away or might not have to, but those are guys that you can develop. And then we talk about developing. Not only are we talking about Kirby as a, as a recruiter, let's talk about that development piece too because we've seen guys come in with low uh, hype, but those guys are leaving becoming NFL prospects, i.e. Matt McConkey, guys like that, those guys, Stetson Bennett. You know, you've seen those guys just just evolve and get better and develop, and then that talent is being maximized. That's the older type of things that Kirby wins in as well, and that's what the reason why they have won back-to-back national championships. And you could kind of hear him, Maria, chomping at the bit yesterday when he was talking about how excited he is when it comes to developing these players. And like Jarvis said, yeah, it's great when he gets the five stars, but he's also just as pleased with the four stars and the three stars who he feels have the when they have the raw talent that he's looking for, but also that will and that desire to get better. That's maybe more so, as he mentioned, what he can work with a little bit better, which I think is also why he talked about liking Ryan Puglisi, but I will tell you another class that was really impressive, Maria, maybe the best class that Georgia Tech has had in three years. And you've got to tip your hat to what Brent Key is doing in, on the flats. I mean, it's really exciting because, of course, this is uh, their first uh, bowl game in a number of years. Their first bowl game, if they get a win, then it'll be, I think, a decade and a half. And now here you are with your recruiting class. It depends on you know, which outlet you listen to, but they had them ranked, I think, as high as number 35. And so you look at them and one of their places that he talked about, uh, Brent Key on the ACC network, was being able to shore up his O-line. That was something that was important to them, as well as getting some tight ends because he's going to have some departing. So, Maria, you got to also tip your hat to what Brent Key's been able to do. Yeah, Brent Key is incredible. You know, I've I've been lucky enough to spend a decent amount of time with him over the last football season, and he's an offensive line guy, so of course he's going to talk about the trenches, and and he's also a Georgia Tech guy, which I think helps them tremendously, right? You know, they haven't had anyone there that truly understands what Georgia Tech is and how to win there, and it's been a long time since someone's been able to do that, so for him to take over and, and win as quickly as he is, it's just a testament to what kind of coach he is. He's a player's coach first and foremost. The kids love him a ton. And yeah, his signing class is really, really impressive. You got Anthony Carey, a kid that was initially thinking about going to Texas A&M and decides to instead go to Georgia Tech. That is massive. He's a four-star. He's going to be a very, very, very good asset on offense for them in the future. And one thing about signing day, especially this early signing period, it's changing so much. And when you say Georgia Tech, I say this because Georgia Tech kills it with the transfer portal kids. Yeah, all of their kids that were bright stars, right? Exactly, they were the kids that transferred from other schools. So you can get kids a number of ways now in college football. So I, I don't want people to put all dividends on signing day and say, okay, my school didn't do as well on signing day. We're, we're screwed for the future. That's not necessarily true because look at Georgia Tech. So it's impressive that they got a good signing class. 
They're typically pretty good in the transfer portal. So I think Brent Key, the future is so bright for him on the flats. I'm super stoked because what I want more than anything is Georgia Tech and Georgia to be a competitive game at the end of the year. We saw that yes. this past year. It's only the beginning. It's going to get better. Yeah, that's exciting, too, because I feel like we all win when that particular rivalry is that's exciting fun. and competitive. Yes, yes. So when we come back, we're going to talk about competition that kind of went in a different direction. We'll translate for you, and we will pontificate on the Falcons, too. This episode of the Atlanta Sports Party is brought to you by FanDuel. Now, it's a little bit warmer today, but you know, it's been cold up and down, up and down. And one of the things that sometimes you want to do is hang out at home when it's cold. You know where you can do that best? When you have a FanDuel or how you can do that best. So right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks. If your team wins. Now, if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. It's December 21st. You got, what, three more days to wrap up your Christmas shopping. This might actually help you with that. So think about this. The app is easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So how do you get there? It's simple. FanDuel.com slash locked on to continue this NFL season that, oh my goodness, only has three seasons, three weeks left to the regular season. But again, download that app, but you can also visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more about FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. All right, guys, we have had quite the week up in Flowery Branch with things kind of turning where we thought it would, but it was like information was kind of piecemealing out, right? We started the week on Monday with our Atlanta football party talking about the feedback where Arthur Smith said he was going to evaluate things. And then first thing, Tuesday morning, we get the word from the Athletics' Jeff Schultz that there is no more evaluation. Taylor Heineke is your starter. And then we got confirmation a couple of hours later when the Atlanta Falcons released their depth chart and Taylor Heineke was in the, the, the one spot. But another layer then happened. Maria, one of your colleagues over at Tegna, uh, over at 11 Alive, Jeff Hollinger, had an opportunity to speak with Arthur Blank. And some interesting comments came out of that to the point where we're now saying, okay, we, we always talk coach speak, right? We're always translating coach speak, but now we might have to translate owner speak. So Arthur Blank in that interview with Jeff said that while making the playoffs this season was never a requirement for Smith to keep his job, the expectation was for the team to be more competitive this year. Remember, Falcons have finished 7-10 and 10 both in 2021 and 22. Here's a quote from Mr. Blank. I think through this part of the season, it's been mixed quite honestly. That's what I think. And that's what the coach would say. Arthur Smith is a very honest man. He looks at himself very critically. So he comes from a beautiful family that has great values and he reflects those values in his leadership the best he can. He can. But then he says, so we'll see how the season plays out and go from there. So when you hear that, Maria, translate for me that owner speak. Was there frustration? Did he tip his hand a little bit about the caveat of what we see in these last three games what did you what was your sense of what you heard from him how much time do you have no but you know i i have i have racked my brain about this ever since i heard it and 
you know, good on Jeff for asking those questions um, when he was in front of Arthur Blank. You know, Jeff worked for the Falcons for a long time, a long time ago, and then he ended up working for Fox and then for us and now with Georgia Public Broadcasting. So he has a longstanding history of being friends with Mr. Blank and, and being around him. And so I think it was important for him to ask those questions. And I know that Arthur's always going to answer Jeff to the best of his ability and as honest as possible. Um, so there's a lot of things to this. And I'm going to try to choose my words really carefully here. I think that, you know, with Arthur saying, let's see how it plays out in my mind, where it sits right now and everything that he said in that interview, he does not have an intention on firing Arthur Blank. Just my opinion. Ha or Arthur Smith, sorry, a lot of Arthurs. Yes. But however, I do think that if there is an 0-3 situation for the mm -hmm. remainder of the year and you lose out the rest of your games, I think it makes it very difficult for him to keep him around. Um, yeah. There is a lot of justifications for keeping him. And I know Falcons fans are going to freak out when I say that, but they are better. And you can point to a couple of things that you know are going wrong. And one of which was they got the quarterback wrong. And I think everybody understands that to this point. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean I don't think that Desmond Ritter is a good quarterback. I've defended him probably more than a lot of people. Um, I just don't think it's working with this offense. And I don't think it's working with this team. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that he has any plans right now to fire him. I really don't think that he does. I just think that for the rest of the season, because remember, if they, and y'all know, if they went out the rest of the year, God forbid, if they do, they have a chance of making the playoffs. So there still is an opportunity. And so mm -hmm. I think everyone's just kind of waiting to see what happens. It's a, it's a hurry up and wait. But if you're Arthur Smith and you're pitching for your job, you have justifications to stick around. Hey, I'm yeah. going to go get a quarterback. Y'all gave me more assets. You gave me more money. The defense is light years better than it was last year yeah. right so if I can give you a quarterback and make it work then great um but yeah when you look at the records they're eerily similar the last couple of years so I understand but I don't think by what Arthur Blank said and everyone knows he's a conservative owner he yeah. doesn't like to fire in the middle of the season he likes right. to wait and see so plus you know hiring a new coach would set you back and I think Arthur Blank is tired of being set back yeah. to be totally honest with you so I don't know. I think it would have to be an incredible snowball situation, which I know will make Falcons fans very upset when I say that. But I just I don't think as it sits right now and based off of what he said to Jeff, that there's any plans right now. And I would agree. And I, I said that earlier in the week, if I had to look at you know, where he was in terms of Arthur Smith wrapping up his third year, Dan Quinn wrapping up his fifth year. Now, I don't think he's going to get a Dan Quinn situation again. I think he learned from that. Like you went yeah. one season too long and it cost you because then you did have to make a change in the middle of the season. Right. So I don't think we're going to see that kind of leash. But on the same token, I feel like he is a person who is a little bit more patient than the average owner, especially in this day and age. And I do yeah. feel like to your point, it's going to hinge on. How do you look against the Colts? How do you look against the Bears? How do you look against the Saints? Even if you go 0-3, just don't get your butt handed to you and don't have the same mistakes because he talked about those miscues. The thing that was most disappointing about Desmond Ritter, Arthur Blank said, was the fact that we had such high hopes for him. Yeah. And all of the miscues kept coming. So I do think the reason he put that caveat in, and Jarvis, the reason it's a little bit of maybe owner speak that we translate at the end is because he wanted to caveat and not give like a 110% um, vote of confidence because you do still have to see what happens in these last three games, but barring catastrophic results. 
and I do mean like blowouts or like multiple miscues that you've already seen so far this season and you just see it maybe in triplicate or duplicate, I do think Arthur Smith gets another shot at this next season. Um, for me, I, I'll, I'll say this, because when you think about, I don't think so much stock should be put in these last three games. I think you should look at the totality of what Arthur Smith has done since he's been here. And for me, I don't know if I trust Arthur Smith to to, to bring a, get to, get get it right with the quarterback. Here's why: because there are certain things that I haven't necessarily agreed with as far as from my football eye, from my from my eyeballs. I don't I don't like the way he's been using Kyle Pitts. I just don't think that he's not putting him in a position to be successful when he does certain things the way he moves around on his offense. And I think that whole positionless football thing is. It, it, it's it's, it's kind of whack to me, you know, because like, hey, Kyle Pitts line up on the safety versus Kyle Pitts line on the corner. Who had when, when the opportunity to be able to win that matchup? I think it's definitely the, it's him lined up in that slot or lined up with his hand in the dirt. And I think that he just doesn't get used like that because of this whole, oh, we can line him up anywhere. No, we need to line him up where he's going to win. And I don't think he's been able to do that since he, he stepped foot into into a flowery branch. So for me, I'm just in a space where let's look at the totality of everything. Like forget these last three games. Like whether they go three and zero or in three, look at the entire body of work, and let's kind of take this whole salary cap money stuff out too. Because I don't buy that either. Because this is the NFL. It's built for you to turn it around within a year. We've seen it time and time again. Teams come out of nowhere. Oh, my God, we didn't expect this team to be this good at the end of the year. Or we didn't expect this team to get into the playoffs and make a run or to the AFC Championship or the NFC Championship. It happens all the time. So even within a division, like the Saints always figure out a way to be uh, in the running for the NFC South Division. Always. They always figure it out. And, and what we've been saying about the salary cap, salary cap captivity all these years. Oh, how they figure out? They move this money around. They move that money around. And Terry Fondo comes from that organization. So, yeah, I don't buy that. I'm not buying that as an excuse. So, yeah, I'm saying all that to say when, when Arthur Blank said that, it kind of made me cringe a little bit because I'm just like, all right, man, you're going to put all your decision-making skills on three games? No, you don't need to do that, sir, uh, Mr. Blank. Look at the totality of it and ask yourself, do you trust him to pick another quarterback? Or do you trust him to do the right thing with whoever quarterback, whatever quarterback you bring in here? Because you know what will put you behind the eight ball longer than switching out coaches? Picking the wrong quarterback, especially in the first round. Yeah. And I think that what he's saying is he does trust him. I think that everything he said prior to that final sentence was a vote of confidence, but he left himself a little leeway because in the event that he goes back, and I don't think he's necessarily just looking at the three games. I think he's basically saying, I trust you. I'm bringing you back. But if you give me a reason in these last three games to change my mind of where I stand today, meaning that the three games look like the worst of this season and the worst of last season and the worst of the season before, then it kind of tips the scales. The other piece I think there, before we move on and talk a little bit about what Arthur Smith had to say is this, Jarvis, you make a great point. It depends because yes, they, they don't say, now they don't say as much as Thomas Dimitrov and Dan Quinn said that they were 
co-builders, but they still kind of act like a one-two punch, Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot. But it depends on who made that move. Like who was more in Desma Ritter's camp? Was that Arthur Smith driving the bus? Was it Terry Fontenot driving the bus? Now, Arthur Blank knows which one of them was driving the bus more so on Desma Ritter. But that could also kind of play into it. Like, how do we go about moving on and going for that next quarterback? And who was the one driving the bus on this one? Some of those things may play into it as well. Because like we said, I think we all believe Terry Fontenot is probably safe. But we also don't know Terry Fontenot is driving the bus on Desmond Ritter. Now, speaking of Arthur Smith, he said he believes the journey, in fact, isn't over for Desmond Ritter, even though he is not going to be the QB1 for the rest of the season for the Falcons. But Maria, is it over for Ritter as an Atlanta Falcon? Well, let me just say that I think that the quarterback in the NFL is one of the hardest things to get right. The yeah. hardest, one of the hardest things to get right. And that's not me defending, sure. you know, what they've picked and, and all that. I also just don't think it's necessarily fair to put all this pressure on a third round quarterback and say he's going to be your franchise quarterback. More often than not, that's not going to work out. And look, look what happened, right? Um, so they are in a really messy position when it comes to the quarterback. That being said, I think when Desmond does things right, He's a great quarterback. I think he's very, very good and has a high ceiling. But the problem is, as everybody knows, is that when he does things wrong, there are critical points in the game and they lose you the game. So, yeah. you know, if he were to eliminate that and it's like his highs are great, his lows are really bad. So let's meet somewhere in the middle of this roller coaster because like everybody's nauseous. Right. And I know that he's more frustrated than anybody else. And the yeah. fact that they are so close and that they are you know, one play away and one drive away. It's not, they're not getting blown out. You know, this team doesn't totally suck. And mm -hmm. they, are, they are so close. They're so close. And Desmond probably feels that more than anybody else. So I would like to think that his future isn't done in the NFL. I don't want anybody's future to be done in the NFL. That sucks. Nobody wants to be out of a job. Um, I tend to believe that we probably won't see him here again. Um, now the only, the only reason why I would think that he would, and why it would make sense is if the Falcons are all in on getting a free agent quarterback, you can make him a backup and it'd be fine. Yes. Um, yeah. but if your goal is to draft somebody in the first round and hope that works out, which nine times out of 10, that doesn't, mm -hmm. um, about 50% of the time it doesn't work. Right. Out. <laughs> and so while well, people think that's the answer and I'm like, yeah. well, not everybody's CJ Stroud. So right. yeah. I, that's a very tough thing to get right as well, a first-round yeah. quarterback. So if you're gonna if you're gonna put all your eggs in one basket when it comes to the draft, then yeah, maybe Desmond moves on and this is not his place. And Taylor yeah. Heineke stays as the backup and, and everybody's quote unquote happy. But if yeah. you go out and you get a free agent like Kirk Cousins, then mm -hmm. Desmond has a future here. So I think it's 50-50. It just all depends on what they're thinking. Are they thinking all in on the draft or mm -hmm. we're gonna go get a free agent quarterback? Yeah, and all in on the draft may actually be dictated by where they land on the draft in the first round, too. So coming up next, we will go around the Metro. Guys, quietly, the Falcons have been keeping all of our attention on Flowery Branch, but quietly at State Farm Arena and even on the road, the Hawks are actually getting it done. 134 to 127 against Houston Rockets, a team that has the second highest defensive rating in the NBA, and they smoked them for 134 points. Now, you kind of know if you've been watching the Hawks, 
they were going to let them score 127. They were going to let them battle back. But the Hawks were able to go on a 9-0 run to start the fourth quarter last night. And they were able to close this thing out. And Jarvis, you've got to give a world to credit. I think that because the Hawks were swooning for so many games, especially post Jalen Johnson, you know, that comes up in every show we do. But I think kind of buried in the Jalen Johnson is not here narrative is the Trey Young is back narrative. That's the one that people should be talking about. I don't think we talk about Trey enough making history with his fifth straight game of 30 points and 10 assists. You've got Oscar Robertson, who's the only player in the NBA history with longer streaks, six and seven. And, you know, not only that, but I just want to add to it. Trey is actually rebounding. Trey is actually fighting to play decent defense. And Trey is playing low-key pretty decently off the ball, too. We don't talk about that as well. But Jarvis, he's on a tear. Can he keep this up? He's a, he has no choice. Uh, like you said, like you mentioned, like Jalen Johnson being out, you know, and, and I don't think anyone expected – I maybe secretly was rooting for Jalen Johnson to have the type of season he was having before he got hurt. Right. <laughs> for, for, you know, for obvious reasons. But right. I think, like – Post Jalen Johnson injury, like they just been everybody's been hurt. We had Clint, you know, Bogey had been out for the last couple of games. He came back last night, and it has just been. And I think that it all boils down to the fact that Trey is just shooting the ball so much better than what he did last year. And I think that, and I even went back and looked at some of the numbers. T, you know, like just from three point percentage points scored and everything like that in certain areas, he playing a little bit more minutes than he was. He's taking a, obviously he's taking a lot more shots. So that's him buying into Quinn Snyder's system, taking more threes and, and getting those shots up. And let's let's get this get this tempo of the game going. His numbers are very similar to twenty twenty one, and you know they went to the Eastern Conference Finals in that in that year. So yeah. I think that. Trey has to play this way in order for this team to get where they want to be. And I'm sure they want to be a contender in the Eastern Conference. And that's the only way it's going to happen. So, yeah, if as long as Trey can stay healthy and the way he continues to shoot the rock like he's been doing, there's no doubt in my mind that he can keep this up for sure. And Maria, probably a testament to his ability to keep this up. Another low key is we're starting to see a nice backcourt combo. We're starting to see both guards with two-way play. And it's not like every night it's Trey with 38, but maybe DeJounte with 18. Like last night was a great example. Trey had 30, but DeJounte had 21. And they combined for, I think, seven rebounds and like some crazy number of assists. I think it was like 14 and nine or something like that. But the point being, I think another piece of Trey's success is that that backcourt combination is starting to get its rhythm. It's starting to catch fire. And then think of this, Maria. Kobe Bufkin has been cleared for full team practice. So that'll give Trey some support, some help so that maybe he doesn't have to play as many minutes. You know how he gets his little breaks in at certain points in the game, you bring Kobe Bufkin back and that could also give you a little bit of depth on the uh, bench as well in Trey's favor. I like whatever uh, Jarvis said, he has no choice because I, I kind of feel <laughs> the same way for that backcourt connection. Yeah. They kind of yeah. have no choice. You know, right. it's got to be go. there. And that's why you brought in DeJounte Murray, right? Is you want them to be one of the best backcourts in the NBA. And, and when he was signed and when Atlanta got him, that's what we all said. We were like, wait a second. 
Atlanta has one of the best backcourt duos in the entire NBA, but we haven't seen that connection flourish. We haven't really seen it's been very inconsistent. Kind of like what we're talking about, Desmond Ritter. When it's good, it's really good. And when it's bad, it's really bad. I don't think when it's bad for them, it's really bad. I think it's somewhere yeah. in the middle. Um, but when they do show their connection, it makes everybody else around them better. And they tend to win basketball games when they're both on the same page. And even Quinn Snyder after the game, after the win over the Rockets, he even mentioned that connection and how crucial it was and, and how he really liked to see how how it was working. So when the two of them are working together and when the two of them are doing great things um, on the ball, off the ball, I think that the Hawks can win games. I think this team can go as far as they need to go, but it's crucial that Trey not only plays well and shoots well, like Jarvis was talking about, which I think has gotten progressively better even this season. Um, so if he continues to do that and DeJounte helps him out too, I think it's great. And yes, him playing a ton of minutes doesn't help anybody. So getting some help will obviously help them in that regard too. Indeed. And the bigs who've been sneakily good too, whenever Quinn Snyder has played Clint Capella and Onyeka Okongu together, that was another good tandem last night that we saw anytime you have Clint Capella going seven of seven from the free throw line and Onyeka Okongu only getting one foul. It's a good night. It's a good night. And also Wednesday was an all around good day for the Hawks because they also got good word about Mohamed Gay and he's able to get back to at least some individual reps. And of course, the best news of all. Jalen Johnson is back to full team practice. So the four is back, coming back to the four spot. And that should be really, really a good thing for the Hawks. They've got five games left in December. So hopefully they'll be able to make good on that. And then we'll see Jalen Johnson on the other side. Listen, we appreciate you guys as always for stopping by the Atlanta sports party. And don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We will see you on the Falcons postcast on Sunday.